who your sheriff is matters. And we're going to be talking today with a guy who's running to be the next sheriff of Jefferson County, not just about Jefferson County. So if you don't live in Jefferson County, you'll still want to tune in. Talks about what is a sheriff, what is different about a sheriff from a chief of police and uh, all kinds of other things. Great conversation. You're not going to want to miss it. Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We've got a great episode today. I'm joined. I'm Brian Dawson, uh, CEO of 1819 News, joined by my co-host, Ray Millick, who's the editor-in-chief. Ray, how you doing? I'm good. And it's uh, we got a couple of more weeks till the May 24th primary, and things are going to be interesting for him for the rest of this month. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. And it's uh, I'm, I'm, I'm tired and I'm exhausted. I'm tired, boss. Well, it, it, it's funny because of how uh, some of the races are tightening up a lot, yeah, uh, and it's making it a little uglier sometimes. Yeah, so, um, and it looks I, like the negative ads are working, so there's going to be more of those. Yeah, I'm, I think they'll be uh, pumping that in there. So, it, you know, next few weeks, certainly no shortage of news. Yeah, well, and as the video uh, viewers can see, we've got a, a guest in studio here. We've got... Jared Hudson, who's going to be, uh, who is running to be the next sheriff of Jefferson County. He's the Republican nominee. Uh, and so May 24th is not as important to his race as it is to these other ones, but we still wanted to get him in here uh, and and let you guys hear from him. I think um, the good enough guest, or I mean, an interesting enough person where even if you don't live in Jefferson County, you're still going to enjoy the podcast. So definitely stay tuned. Jared, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. So, before we jump in, um, always want to tell you guys where you can find us. Um, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, uh, or anywhere else where you get your uh, audio podcast. When you go there, whatever your podcast platform and preference is, um, like, subscribe, hit the bell so that you get dinged when we have a new episode. Uh, leave a five-star review. Tell everyone how much you love the podcast because we know you do. Everyone always asks, 1819 News, how can we help you guys? We love what you're doing. Biggest thing you can do for us is, is help us get the word out. Make sure everyone's subscribing. Uh, and the biggest subscribe that you can do, we, we need the podcast subscribe, but is the, the 1819news.com. Go there and subscribe for the newsletter. That way you're getting all of the news, all of the opinions, all the podcasts we produce, and all the content we put out will be delivered to your inbox every morning, Monday through Friday at 745 in the morning. Uh, like a morning edition newspaper thrown on your front steps. And we don't ask for anything other than your email address. We won't sell it. We won't use it for anything. It's just a way to us to record to get the information to you more directly. That's right. And, and we don't charge anything uh, for the subscription either. So, all right, well, let us begin. <laughs> so, Jared, one of the things that we like to do, um, candidates or anybody who comes in, is we just want to hear hear your story. Tell us about yourself. Where are you from? Tell us about your parents. Yeah, so that's... Uh, and that's pretty easy for me, especially going around doing stuff like this. Although this is the first, uh, like, real nice, legit podcast. This is way better than our podcast. We have, like, <laughs> hear that, we got guys? guys that do a good job. But y'all got, like, headsets, microphones for everybody. <laughs> One time we had our guy in the back of our camera guy holding two wires together to make the to make the recorder pick up. But um, So, no, yeah, going around and doing this stuff, the first thing I always tell everybody because it's uh, – I've heard it a lot now just in the short time I've been in politics is everybody in Alabama is a Christian, right? Yeah. Everybody's a Christian. Uh, so I like to preface it with that. And I go around and I speak around the nation to do security uh, consults and stuff on my job, and I'll speak to upwards of 1,000 or 1,500 people. And one of the first things I tell them is, guys, I, I was a guy who was a SEAL. I'm a dad. I have three little girls. I'm a husband of 
I've played football in high school. You know, I have an MBA. I own a small business. So you go through all those things that I am. Those are all portions of me, but they're all viewed through the lens or the context of being a Christian. Um, I, we happen to have a campaign that uh, that we have the privilege of running, but it's really a ministry that has the privilege of campaigning for sheriff on the side. Now, a lot of people don't like that. And I've got a lot of friends who are not Christians or don't believe in God that say, well, I don't want you forcing your belief system. Well, it has nothing to do with forcing a belief system. This is truly what I believe, and if I believe what I believe, I have to share that and proclaim it yeah. first. And what's Jesus say? He says, if you don't declare me before men, I won't declare you before yeah. my Father. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all them unto me or to me. Obviously, we see that with Jesus on the cross, and now we have to do it physically. It's not happening anymore. We have to elevate him in every aspect of our life. So uh, I start off with that. I'm a Christian who happens to be all of these other things on my resume. Uh, and, and one thing is amazing, uh, a guy that this was actually down in Florida was doing an event down there and they helped support the campaign as well also. But uh, a buddy of mine now, we still talk on the phone, was able to lead him in a, lead him to the Lord through this campaign in Florida. So I know of at least one person <laughs> that we led to the Lord who were still discipling. It's like, you know, that is the most important thing or should be the most important yeah. thing as Christians. Yeah. Um, but either way, I always like to preface it with that. Everybody's a Christian. I, I believe that Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again on the third day for all of our sins, and it's through him that we have the opportunity of eternal life with God. Uh, I love talking with people about that. I love sharing that, so I, I, I want to share that unashamedly. I'm a Christian who happens to be doing these other things, not a guy who's running for sheriff who happens to be a Christian. Yeah. Um, so that's the very first thing, and that's probably the most important thing about me because anything good good in me comes from uh, the hand of God, not the other way around. With that being said, I am a husband. Uh, my, my wife, we've been married. How long have we been married? That happens yeah. to everybody. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> gets in trouble right here at this point. Yeah. We've been married for, so this is 13, we're, we're coming up on 13 years. So December 19th was 12 years for us. So this is our 13 year of marriage. Um, we were married pretty much the dirt, my, my full duration in the SEAL teams. I was in the teams for about two years, um, in the SEAL teams for about two years when we got married, but she's pretty much experienced all of the, the SEAL life. So, uh, we're married and uh, we have three little girls. We have three little girls. We had our first one in 2015, so I'd already gotten out of the SEAL teams at that point in time. I had our first one in 2015, and we had uh, – she's six. We have a three-year-old who's about to be four, and we have a four-month-old. So a lot of people that see the campaign website, they see my wife holding a uh, – what are those called? Sonograms or whatever, mm -hmm. sonogram picture. Yeah. Like, oh, you got a baby on the way. Now that baby's here. Yeah. <laughs> that baby's here. It's no longer a picture on paper. So um, – my Christianity is the most important part. That's the that's the next most important part of my life is the simple fact that uh, God has blessed me with uh, a beautiful wife, a godly woman, um, a, a partner, a friend, someone you can do life with, you know. And then I have three beautiful children that uh, that we're all trying to bring up in in the ways of the Lord, trying to teach scriptures to, and everything. And then also all the other stuff that kids do that that kind of runs our life. So those are the most important things about me. Uh, I was a SEAL in a, in a former life. I, I got out of the SEAL teams. I was a sniper and, and sniper instructor. Uh, I have a small business, the Shooting Institute. I still teach for the SEAL teams, still teach for military law enforcement all over the nation, really all over the world. Uh, do security stuff. We get people out of countries, do a lot of anti-human trafficking. Uh, with that, started a nonprofit covenant rescue group that helps fund anti-human trafficking operations, both stateside and overseas. And uh finished my MBA when I got out of the SEAL team. So that's helped me on the business side 
Uh, and then I'm also an Alabama law enforcement officer. So I got into law enforcement as soon as I got out in 20, I think it was 2013, got into law enforcement here in the state of Alabama, actually over at Shelby County Sheriff's Office, went to the, went to the academy, did that full-time for a year, and then after that started, started running my business, finished my degree, started running my business, left full-time law enforcement, worked as a re- reserve here in Jefferson County, and currently working as a, uh, I guess it's called a part-time officer for the state with a 17th judicial task force. Yeah. So that's it, go. down and dirty real quick. Yeah. What got you into the military? What was that so, decision like, process? Well, growing up, I always kind of had a desire for that. You know, I always, that was something that was in me. Like, I, I don't know how to explain it, but that was almost, that kind of matched who I was, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um I actually became a firefighter when I graduated high school. I went to fire college, Cobba Valley Fire District had a program where they sent you to fire college. I went to Fort Payne Fire School and uh, came back and was working at Cobba Valley Fire District, was an EMT, going through paramedic school, and went on a mission trip with with our church, Gardner First Baptist, to Africa. I saw some stuff happening over there that really bothered me. There wasn't a lot that you could do about it as uh, as a missionary, and the Lord just really pressed on my heart. You need to you need to do something where you can actually go and 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 help mm-hmm. these things. This was over in uh I want to say we were in I don't remember what country we were in. I think we were in Namibia, um, out in the bush working and and saw some stuff. And I was just like, I've got to do something. Came home, talked with my dad. My dad's a pastor. Talked with my dad about it, and he said, uh, he said, well, I'll t-, I said I think I need to join the military. I want to do something positive to help people in a way that I can help them. And he said, all right. I'll take you to the recruiters, but promise me one thing. Promise me you're going to do something special. Not that joining the military is not special, but he said, do something that everybody doesn't do. Um, And so we went to all the recruiters, and at the time, Bush had started a special operations contract. Like, you could join the Army and go be a Ranger or join the Army and go be a Green Beret or join the Navy and be a SEAL. So all of the – all of the – uh, branches of the military had a contract for their special operations community or their special operations organization. And so uh, that's kind of what my dad was talking about. We went to all the recruiters and I just went down the list. The hardest test was SEAL, like the hardest contract to obtain was SEAL. The next hardest was Air Force PJ. Uh, the Green Beret and the Ranger was about the same to get a contract to go do that. And uh and then the Marine Corps, you have to go light infantry, and then they they had just started up their MARSOC program for Marine Raiders or what Force Recon is what mm-hmm. people would know it from from the from the 90s. Uh, they had just started up something where you could go into that, um, and but the hardest standard was the SEAL. So I just said, all right, I'll take this one first, and if God has it, if I pass this one, this is the way I'll go. So I passed it, and that's the way I went. And where did you grow up? What? Here I grew up in uh, like Gardendale, Morris okay. area, Mount Olive, uh, really North Jefferson, and uh, in that area. So that's where I grew up. Went to Mortimer Jordan High School, played yep. played ball there, and uh, uh, yeah, that was all. That was my stomping grounds for uh, for my the duration of my childhood. So really, Jefferson County, this area, you've been here your whole life, except obviously maybe when you're deployed or something. Well, pretty much. No, when we were kids, my uh, my grandparents, my they live at Nockle, up in Etowah County in Nockle mm-hmm. Falls, so we actually grew up as kids, like elementary okay. school kids up there. We moved down here in like 99, so, I mean, it was before I started high school. It was, I think yeah. I was in the eighth grade when we moved down here, so that's, uh, 
we, we were down here all our high school years. My brothers and sisters, they pretty much grew up here their, their whole life. But for me, I was, I think I was in the eighth grade when we moved down here. I was 12, 12 years old, 13 years old, around yeah. that age range. There you go. So you said your dad was a pastor? He, well, he wasn't always a pastor. He's been an ordained pastor for, I don't know, since he was in his 20s. Um, I don't know. I think he's got a, he's either got a master's or PhDs in religious study, a PhD in religious studies, and, uh, finished that later in life. But when he left business, he was always a, a salesman. When he left business, uh, he felt the Lord calling him to be a pastor and he became a full-time pastor. Before, previous to that, he would always interim or fill-in pastor, mm-hmm. but he felt yeah. God call him. So he's at Hayden First Baptist uh, right now up in up in Blount County. That's that's where he's been, and he's been there for he's been there for a long time. I don't know. I couldn't yeah. tell you the exact years. He's been there for a while. We, uh, we did today's podcast backwards. Yeah, if you notice, usually we start in on where you were born, your parents, and right. then your career, like college career. You know what I mean. And then to today, yeah. we went backwards. So either way, we got the information, and so it was um, good stuff. Um, so obviously, you're running for sheriff. So we want to talk to you about, um, you know, what what you would be doing as a sheriff. What is a sheriff? Does everybody think sheriff, and you know, I don't know. They 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 think of some, you know, John Wayne, or they think of, you know. Um, you know what is the show? I it's just slipping my mind right now. Black and white, where uh, Barney Fife and oh Andy, you know, Griffith. Yeah, Andy yeah. Griffith, or you know, say, yeah, everybody has these kind of ideas of you know uh, what what is a sheriff and and why does it matter? Um, what um I think with with COVID, I think people became acutely aware of the importance of a sheriff and and um, what that means. And so um, I'd like to ask like you saw how COVID went, you saw the business closures, you saw what our governor did and all of those things. What would, how would you have handled the COVID situation differently? No. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great question of uh, pretty straightforward and simple. I mean, you can look at the way Sheriff Mark Moon, Mark Moon, he's a solid guy up in Blunt County. Yeah. Kind of the way he handled it. Um, hey, in order for the governor or for anybody to close businesses or basically tell people they can't do something, they have to have strong men with guns showing up to say, hey, you can't do this if you're doing it. Yeah. Well, if the strong men with guns don't show up, what happens? Yeah. Well, you you live life as as normal. So I would say that's the first thing is drawing that line and saying, uh, hey, we're not – you're a business, you stay open. We're not yeah. going to come shut you down. If you're a church, you stay open. We're not going to come shut you down. Personally, I would take it a step further and say if anybody does try to come shut you down – the purpose of the sheriff, the purpose of the sheriff's office is to stand in that gap and protect the people of, let's say, this jurisdiction, Jefferson County, one I'm running for, their right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. The sheriff is a constitutional officer. He's not a code enforcement officer like yeah. most police departments or state officers. He's a constitutional officer, which means he protects the the rights of the people not so much the rights of the bureaucrats. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's actually people don't realize you're not answerable to the governor. You're not answerable to a mayor. Uh, the sheriff, you're answerable to the people. The people that elect that you. That's elect why you're elected. Yeah, it, it, it makes elected it a official. unique position in law enforcement, unlike mm-hmm. any other, because really you can't be fired unless you're voted out of office or do something that would. That's you know. right. And and even, you know, there's a you, you see sheriffs that go through things and they get. And I've been doing a lot of studying on this because a lot of people ask this question and I. I didn't know this until I started running for sheriff and trying to read and learn about it. Um, there's a there's a lot of sheriffs that they get in trouble for stealing money for right. hurt. You know they have like bad issues with inmates, inmates killing themselves in jail. 
Uh, there's one I was reading about in Massachusetts, I think, had the highest suicide rate of any any sheriff in the in the nation, right? And uh, inmates were killing themselves in jail, so they started investigating him. So stuff like that, stuff that you would say, okay, something bad is going on here. A sheriff can be investigated by right. this. Generally speaking, it's the state government. Uh, maybe the maybe the feds will do it. Even the feds are very limited to what they can do to sheriff. It's most of the time done through a state, the state government. But the purpose behind the position of sheriff and the almost the protection of that position is you are a mouthpiece for you're the law enforcement mouthpiece for the people. If you yeah. look at it, um, the law enforcement of the state of Alabama they they work for the executive branch of the state of Alabama. Right. The law enforcement for the the FBI, the the DEA, the ATF, all these they work for the executive right. arm of the United States. So. They're very much Police beholden. chiefs are usually appointed by mayors. Police chiefs so are appointed effort, by yeah. mayors. Right. But the sheriff is elected by the people. The people look right. and say, this is who we want. Now, I've, I've looked, I've, and I've been told this, and I'm, I'm not going to say this 100% sure, but as I'm reading, everybody's always said there's two constitutional uh, jobs, I guess. There's two requirements of the sheriff of any county. In the state of Alabama, each, each state's different. There's only three states that don't have sheriffs. That's Alaska, Hawaii, and Connecticut. Every other state has sheriffs enshrined in their constitution. Mm -hmm. That's why the sheriff's so protected. It's enshrined in the state constitution. With that being said, um, in the state of Alabama, there are two roles that the sheriff, that people will commonly say the sheriff's supposed to fill. The first is the the jails, maintaining the jails, keeping the jails, right? So make, making sure prisoners are taken care of all that. So it's the jail situation. And then the courts, mm -hmm. right? So serving papers, serving warrants, of course. But there's actually a third one that I've been reading about that that I've never heard anybody say. I just happened to read. I was reading uh, the Alabama State Constitution, actually. I've never read the whole thing, even as law enforcement. <laughs> That'll take a while. Oh, because yeah. it's the longest state constitution. It's the longest, state constitu it's the longest constitution, constitution in the world. In the, yeah. And it's uh, I think India is the longest national, uh, inter uh, yeah, national constitution in the world, and it's only 40% the length of Alabama. <laughs> yeah. All the amendments, all the changes over the years, it's, it's a long constitution. So as I'm reading through this thing, uh, one thing I noticed uh, was that the— uh, and this was what somebody else had written, and I looked it up to see. There was a the purpose of the sheriff is to investigate disturbances to the peace, so to investigate criminal activity. So that's actually three pieces. One is it's not patrol like we think. You just see people drive. You know, oh, there's a sheriff. He's getting something done. You know, driving around. That's almost symbolism without substance. It's taking care of the jails. It's taking care of the courts. And it's making sure that if there is a disturbance to the peace, I would argue what the government did with COVID is disturbance to the peace, investigating what is the purpose to the disturbance of the peace. Because you're shutting people's businesses down. You're shutting churches down, which is a which is guaranteed by the First Amendment. You know what they didn't shut down? The riots that happened down here in Birmingham or anywhere yeah. else in the nation for that matter. So uh, investigating disturbances to the peace because they negatively impact the community, the people's right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, their constitutional freedoms. Um, that is the purpose of the sheriff. You investigate anything that hinders people's constitutional freedoms. And then on the flip side of that, the Constitution, especially, let's say, the U.S. Constitution, those, those first 10, that Bill of Rights, that's when people say Constitution, that's what they think of, right? Yeah. In Alabama, when they say Constitution, what do they think of? They think, ah, my, my right to bear arms can't second be friends, right? right? And that's, hey, that's Everybody it. knows the first and second, and then it gets a little yeah. vague as we go to three, four, and five. That's yeah. right, that's right. So but there's there's 10, yeah. right? There's initial 10. There's actually, there's what, there's 27 total, 27 right? 27 total. With all the amendments. But let's look at the initial 10 that the the what we would call the bill, the bill of rights are our, our initial constitution. 
that is actually negative rights. It's not a, the Second Amendment isn't a mother may I permission for you to carry a gun. Right. What it is, is it's limiting the government's ability to, to, infringe. to, to infringe on your right to carry a gun or of your, your right to free speech, your right of worship. That is, they're limiting the government's ability yep. to infringe on your right to free speech, how, how you choose to worship, right? Going to church on, on Sundays as opposed to closing the church down because of COVID. Uh, Stan Cook, he's running for state auditor. Yeah, he's running for state mm-hmm. auditor. Stan Cook, I did an interview with him on our podcast. He uh, he won a case with the the federal government. Oh, however it was, they they sided with him because he kept his church open during all of COVID. Yeah, yeah. that blew, I didn't know that. That blew my mind. Mm. Um, but the point is, is that that Constitution is negative rights for the government. It's not a mother may I for the people. And that's something yeah. that I, I'll be honest, I didn't realize that either. Yeah, it's, it's interesting in a previous life working for a congressman and we had uh, protesters. Our office was actually in a private building because there wasn't a federal building for us to be in. And the protesters showed up and I was meeting with them. They said, would well, you understand the First Amendment? We have a right to assemble. And I said, you have a right to assembly, but not on private property. This is private property owned by a businessman. We actually had sheriffs that were there with us. And I said, if the owner of this property says you can't assemble, that First Amendment doesn't protect you of any, or Second Amendment doesn't protect you of anything. That, you that's know? exactly right. And and so it's interesting that people think, oh, I, it means I can protest anywhere, anytime. No, it merely means on government property, the government cannot infringe upon your your ability to, to uh, assemble. It's kind of like free speech and all this stuff going on with Elon yeah. Musk and Twitter and all that yeah. stuff. You know, well, that's a private business. He can say whoever yeah. he wants can. Yeah. Can be on Twitter, you know, and beforehand it was treated that way as well. Even though they received the big thing was all the stuff they received from the federal right. government, not treated as like a like y'all were treated as a news organ. You're, you're viewed differently than maybe Twitter was, right? right. It's supposed to be a public yeah. space. So, uh, with all that being said, I think there is, um, and I believe it's Thomas Jefferson that said said this, and I, I'm going to absolutely butcher it and paraphrase it, but basically, if we don't know. What we have, if we don't understand the rights that we have already, that they're not afforded to us by the government, they're afforded to us by God. If we don't understand the rights we have, then we will lose those rights. We'll lose them because we don't understand. Yeah. And I mean, I would, you know, go as far as to saying that that's, you know, the goal of a lot of what's going on in public education is, you know, the way you get rid of a person's rights is to make them not know they have those rights or put them in a position where they're not aware of them. And if they're not aware of them, they're not going to stand up for them. And if they don't stand up for them, they're going to be trampled. Or oh, they, absolutely. Yeah. Or they or they do think the government allows you to have those rights. As you yeah. said, they don't yeah, realize, no, no, the government is there, but cannot touch certain rights that we have. And that's what the First yeah. ten, the Bill of Rights, and particularly first and second amendments do, and the tenth amendment that gets forgotten a lot, which is anything that's not you know enshrined here in the Constitution belongs to the states, and that one's gotten abused. Oh yeah, uh, unbelievably uh, abused by the yeah. government. Yeah, just ignored almost. So anyway, but, uh, but that's I, the that's the purpose of sheriff, yeah. and that's my that's part of my heart in running for sheriff is to one learn. I'm learning a lot about it, but I believe that law enforcement after being in law enforcement, training law enforcement, you know, who can you blame when you have issues? As the CEO of my company, 25 guys work for me. If we're not paying our bills, if we're not performing the job, if we're not doing the right thing, who's going to answer for that? My guys that work under me or me? And what is your company? You didn't really uh, define uh, that. Yeah. My company is the Shooting Institute. Um, it's uh, TSI. Go to the shootinginstitute.com. People can kind of see what we're about. Um, we do military law enforcement training, some civilian training. We build guns for people. I sell guns, suppressors, all that stuff. Uh, 
for uh, so we have an FFL explosive license. We teach explosives. I think we have one for Tuscaloosa County coming up in July, an explosives class to teach them how to to breach. So just everything I did in the SEAL teams now out primarily a training company. We were in F, uh, I say we were overseas after the Afghanistan thing. Went and getting people out of Afghanistan uh, last fall. So we do some of those things. Um, that was not with the government. That was with private organizations, and we still contract to the federal government to do some, uh, to do some things here. If you and there. tell us, you got to kill us. Is that what yeah, you're no, saying? Uh, yeah. <laughs> if I tell y'all and the wrong person listens to it, they might come kill me. There you go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> got it. Yeah. Um, well, you were going somewhere with that before we jumped in on the business. You were talking about basically the accountability. Who's going to be held accountable? If so if you and your business, you know, is it going to be you or is it going to be the people that work yeah, for well, you? Well, you're the, you're the CEO of this organization That's right correct. here. And y'all have got boards and all that stuff that manages. But bottom line is, if stuff is happening, let's say it's even happening at the employee level, if stuff's happening, is the board going to come to the employees individually or are they going to come to you? Straight to me. They're going to come to you. Now, it's different in government, though. Government does a terrible job at everything they do, right? <laughs> they do an awful job, but, and it's not necessarily any one individual. It's the system as a whole that sometimes is infiltrated by corrupt in individuals because government's neither good nor bad. It's, it's neutral. It takes on the face of the people who infiltrate that government and who yeah. run that government. That's, that's what makes government a good government or bad government. We see it in scripture all the time. We see, uh, a king that obeys God. Let's look at you, Solomon, for example. What happened? It was unbelievable blessings that fell across Israel. That same king disobeyed God. He stood up a, a pole to the Sidonian goddess, right? One of the Asherah poles of the Sidonian goddess. And what happens? He's able to sit on the throne for your father David's sake, is what God tells him, but the kingdom will be removed from your hands. And he tells him exactly what goes on. And you see later in Isaiah when Nebuchadnezzar comes in and destroys Israel, as God yeah. promised, because he did not obey God's laws and ordinances. So you have a king that's righteous, seeks justice, the kingdom's good. The government is good. You have a king, and you see it all through the Old Testament Scripture. I love using Scripture examples because oh, it's, a, it's a good one. You see Israel absolutely... <clears throat> Falling apart, the wheels have completely fallen off the bus. And it's the same thing with us. Uh, our government will take on the nature of the people that are in government. And if they're self-seeking people, then you have a self-seeking government that yeah. wants to oppress the people and elevate itself on par with God, which is why we see Satan cast out of heaven, Lucifer cast out of heaven. He elevated himself on par with God. On the opposite end of the spectrum, if we see servant leadership-based government or a servant leadership-based organization that says, all right, the buck stops here, the buck truly stops here. It doesn't only stop here for accolades. It stops here for the good and the bad. I'm going to answer for this organization. I'm going to answer for this governmental organization. You'll see a change in, in how it works. I wrote a thesis paper. Uh, I guess that's what you would call it, one of my final papers in my MBA. And it was on servant leadership, and I used Jesus as the archetype of the servant leader. So it doesn't matter. If anybody's listening to this now, if you don't believe in Jesus, at this point in time, we'll say, I don't believe it's irrelevant, but I'll say it's irrelevant for this argument. Just use the story of Jesus. If you don't believe him, just use the story of what we hear as Jesus. What is he? He's the ultimate servant leader. Whether you believe in him or not, it's the ultimate servant leader, sacrificial leader, God of the universe coming down, living in a fleshly body that he didn't have to live in to stand in the midst of the problem of sin with people. The cross is not an answer to make uh, what C.S. Lewis, the problem of pain, right? It's, uh, it's not an answer to make us feel better like, oh, this is going to make everything go away. All it is is showing that 
the ultimate of everything, the King of kings and Lord of lords, came down and he stood in, he stood in the midst of the problem with us, right? And he ultimately fixed the problem. He ultimately defeated it. Now, uh, again, whether you believe that or not, it's irrelevant. Look at that story. The ultimate servant leader, what do we see? And again, in my, my paper that I wrote, what do we see eliciting certain responses from people that of a following, right? A government requires a following in order for that government to, to, to work. If people don't follow it, it doesn't work. What does Christ require? Well, he required a following. What do we see eliciting that following? Self-seeking leaders, right? Those who say, if you don't do what I do, I'm going to hammer you until you do. Or servant leaders like Jesus, who's willing to wash his disciples' feet, who's willing to take the, the 39 lashes that he took to be hung on a cross to defeat sin and death for all time. Which one elicits a better following, that of a servant leader or that of a self-seeking leader? And it was my assessment through different studies uh, that it's the servant leader that elicits the following required. And when you have a following of people who truly believe, which that's the purpose of a CEO, I cast a vision, right? Yeah. Cast a vision for the company, and people buy into that vision. If they don't buy into that vision, they can't be part of the team, right? Because they're gonna, they're, they're not going to do problem. But if they buy into that vision, if you're that leader that can have people buy into that vision, what's going to happen? Your, your uh, 18, 19 news is going to do unbelievable things simply because the leader was a servant-based leader and created a following as opposed to a self-seeking leader, which only elevates self. I know that's a long-winded Southern Baptist pastor answer. <laughs> I come by it honestly, but it's that is the problem with government, and that's yeah. part of the reason I'm running. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. Um, I hammer our legislative officials as every every chance I get. Uh, as, as Ray probably thinks is funny, but um, no, and I think that's good. I think you know, Scripture is clear that righteousness is what establishes the throne. Um, and, and absolutely, I do think that's a pretty clear breakdown on. Um, and then, you know, and you can even see it in, in the household. Do you have a father who is there for the, the nurturing and well-keeping of his family? Or is he there as, a, as a, a self-seeking tyrant who thinks that those people exist there for him? Right. And you can see it in every governing structure. So that's really good. Um, I know you had some questions about gambling that you wanted to. Well, I, not so much that I wanted to kind of get into it this way. There are unincorporated parts of the county and the sheriffs do oversee that. And we know. Uh, law enforcement sometimes in areas we, we've seen mayors, uh, and and I know it'd be easy to point a finger at, at the mayor of Birmingham, but we've seen other mayors who basically said, "Ah, eh, that law, eh, we're not really going to worry about that." Uh, there's some argument that the current sheriff that you would say he's just decided certain things are not worth pursuing. I, I'm just curious as to your viewpoint, and when you see that kind of th things from elected officials that kind of decide for themselves what they want to what they want to enforce and what they don't want to enforce. So that's a that's a great question, and and I'll I'll tie this to uh, since you mentioned gambling, I will tie it to the bingo bingo stuff. Yeah, because I, I know it's kind of it's directed kind of toward that. Yeah, and I mean I don't think there's been but, any question that that the current sheriff has sort of turned a blind eye to some of those establishments. So I'll start it off with this again, looking at it, the sheriff being a constitutional officer, the uh, you're like your Birmingham PD being code enforcement officers. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> there are codes that Birmingham will enforce that Jefferson County can't enforce, right? They, they can't enforce those codes. And that's why it's coming to Alabama criminal code, all the state laws of Alabama. That's uh, not the Alabama criminal law. It's Alabama criminal code. So they're code enforcement because codes can always shift and change. Uh, I was talking with a buddy of mine from Huntsville, Huntsville PD. I was asking him a little bit about this. 
Um, he has a master's in criminal justice. He's, he understands law pretty well and the application of it, at least on the law enforcement side. And he said, you know, this makes sense when you would say a sheriff is a constitutional officer in a, a, a municipality or the state would be a code enforcement officer at base level because we have to adopt in Huntsville, we have to adopt state codes into municipal code. And he gave me the one for murder. Uh, they happened to do a murder up there. He said, we had to charge them with a municipal murder code that we that we adopted. And you see the states kind of doing the same thing with some federal uh, laws, right? And based, so there's some, uh, not adaptation, but adoption, right? They adopt certain things to then add into their criminal code. So I would say that's the first thing that it it's almost a loaded question. One, is that code there for them to enforce? Does that make sense? Because Birmingham's in Jefferson County, but there's some things that might have to be enforced in Birmingham that Jefferson County might not have the leeway to enforce. I guess that's mm-hmm. a very poorly constructed example of how that works. I would say that's rarely the problem, but that is something that does exist. Okay, so that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is uh, in between municipalities. There is a, like I live in over in Gardendale. You got Fultondale. There might be a noise ordinance in Fultondale that is not the same noise ordinance in Gardendale. This is just a simple ordinance code enforcement that that Gardendale PD will have to deal with that that uh, Fultondale PD doesn't have to deal with, or vice versa. Does that do, so? Does that kind of yeah, make sense? Sure. So there is that aspect of it. Uh, you have state regulations though. Now tying it to the bingo. All right, I would argue the problem here is with the state. Now I'm not trying to say that I'm not given a, this is not a scapegoat excuse for the current sheriff or anything, but I'm just going to go over what I what I do know after talking with the police chief of Birmingham, after talking with uh, guys within the sheriff's office. I have not talked with with uh, the current sheriff since uh, since I started running. But if you look at the bingo situation, one, you're looking at a misdemeanor crime. That's really what you're looking at. You're looking at a misdemeanor crime uh, for when you go in, you raid a bingo hall, you get some money. I mean, you're looking at – there might be felonies involved there, but just generally speaking, that's you're building up an investigation on something that's very small. Well, you can go over to East Birmingham right now. We can hop in a car, car right now and go to a certain spot, and we'll get pulled out at gunpoint and get all our stuff taken and get sent on our way. Yeah. Right? There are people sleeping on their floor in East Birmingham because bullets go through windows. So we know that's going on. So the, the first question is – I mean, what's more important, this bingo hall or this or or that violent crime that is starting to infiltrate Jefferson County, not just Birmingham, Jefferson County. Fire's burning in Birmingham, but guess what else it affects? Festavia, Homewood, uh, Mountain Brook, Gardendale, Fultondale. So it affects all those. It bleeds over. The fire starts to spread. So the question is, do we want to deal with the fire here with limited time and resources? If we're going to be good stewards of the money, good stewards of the people that God has given us, uh, at the sheriff's office, what's more important? Now, I'm not saying that's what the current guy's doing. I'm just throwing out that that is part of the problem. We don't have enough guys and enough money to do the things that we need to do. It's hard to do the things that are kind of like, eh, right? That's the first thing. The second thing, we go in to deal with this misdemeanor crime. We're fine. We want to shut it down. The community wants it shut down, right? It does bring in bad stuff, brings in drugs, brings in uh prostitution. I won't necessarily say it brings in human trafficking, but it could bring that in at some at some level. Definitely brings in prostitution and drugs though. Yeah. 
into a community that doesn't want it. All right, so we want to shut that down and get it out of the community. People are for it, perfect. We're going to go in and shut it down. What happens then is you take all these machines that probably came over from Tennessee or Mississippi. I know a lot of them are sold out of Tennessee. They take all those machines, and they've got to be held uh, while, you, while you wait on you got to have a DA that's willing to prosecute mm-hmm. it as well. So, I mean, that's that's another side of it. But now while we wait on uh, an auditor, a forensic auditor, to come in and audit these machines to see, are these actually gambling machines? When you pull right. that slot lever, does it do whatever it's supposed to do to actually make it against uh, Alabama uh, state law, against the Constitution and the gambling r- rules that we have here? So that's another problem. I don't know what a forensic auditor costs, but just the name forensic auditor sounds expensive to me, yeah. right? But you have to do that. And I know uh, talking with Birmingham, they've been waiting for a while to, they've been holding, I think he said 18 months, they've been holding some machines. Uh, they're paying to store them. Birmingham is paying to store them. They're sitting in there and they can't, they can't get a forensic auditor to come and audit them because I guess the machines that that are there have the have mercury in them, the old mercury. So it's the way it was explained to me. It's like an asbestos asbestos in a building. Mm-hmm. When asbestos in a building, you're going to pay a big bit of money because the EPA and all that stuff to remove asbestos. Well, these machines have mercury in them, so that's another cost. That's another thing that you have to deal with. So we're storing these machines and paying for it. We got to have a forensic auditor to do his you know his magic before we can actually take this thing to court to show that these are gambling machines and. You've got this mercury. Well, now we got to have this special guy from the EPA or whoever's approved to come in and remove all the mercury. Well, there's another cost right there. So as as you go down it, the question is, is the juice worth the squeeze? And then when it's all said and done, to have the have the have the DA throw it out. You know, that's again, it's it's more than what I've learned. Again, it's just what I've learned. It's more than what we believe it is when it comes to those those bingo halls, for instance. So it really comes down though to figuring out. It's kind of like with uh, to put it in terms people understand shoplifting. Uh, we know there are stores, particularly we hear about that say, "Oh, if it's up to seven hundred dollars, I'm just not going to worry about it." Okay, so they've they've their line of demarcation is seven hundred dollars. That's where it becomes over that. So in a sense, what you're trying, what you're sounds like you're saying is, uh, as a sheriff or sheriff's department or police department, whatever it is. You have to determine. I'll I'll allow uh, violators to go this far, but no further. I mean, yes, you. And could. It almost sounds like you. I'm saying like, okay, so I'm there thinking if I want to run a bingo hall, I'm going to get machines with mercury in them. I'm going to make it, you know. I mean, it's so difficult that it, I, it's not worth shutting me down. Well, the 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 I call no no uh, not disparaging to to lawyers and even politicians for that matter which I'm becoming one now but they're all wordsmiths they're yeah. good at word jiu-jitsu they're not good at real jiu-jitsu they're just good at word jiu-jitsu right they can so they're good at twisting things around and making everything difficult right. on everybody that's really where the problem comes in so the call has to be to Montgomery to tell the state cuz i mean you go to a different county it's you know i'm a sworn with 17th judicial task force and i asked a guy the our commander about it he said yeah no we do not touch anything down here with that because it's so murky. It's so murky, you spend so much money, time, and effort as an agency dealing with it to lose it all because of this one little piece right here. So really that's something that has to be dealt with in Montgomery to make it easier on agencies. And I don't mean to, I'm not trying to uh, attack what you're saying. It is because we've seen that even at the state level all the way up the line. You've got to sort of figure out what's the best use of our time, money, and really accomplish what we want to accomplish as opposed to Yes. Uh, getting into picky little things that end up, as you said, then they're not even prosecuted. Nobody's, you know, it's just dismissed. So. Well, and then on the other side of that, it's a, there's a political thing for the the political folks. And I'll tell you, I just, 
I was in Trustful speaking at a thing, and a lady said, and rightfully she said, you know what? You, now, this is Republican women of Trustful, right? Great group of ladies out there speaking. And one lady said, hey, you got you got my vote as long as you shut down the bingo halls. I said, well, I'm in the Republican women of Trustful. I'm the Republican nominee. I would hope I have your vote, you know, yeah. either way. I hope it wouldn't, you know, matter. But my my mama, she's a when when we all left the house, she wanted to get out and do something. She's worked as a bank teller for I I think we've all been out of the house for eighteen years. My youngest brother and sister left the house eighteen years ago. Maybe not quite, maybe fifteen. But either way, she's been working as a bank teller for a long time. Just no kids at the house. She's working as a bank teller and has met people that we knew in our community, but has met a lot of folks. And she said there's this this old guy in his eighties that comes through and talks to her and she said, Miss Joanne, is that your son, Jared Hudson, running for sheriff? She said, she said, yes, sir, it is. And he said, now she said, this guy, the Trump election's wearing a Trump hat. You know, he's definitely, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. He is a Republican, a conservative, right? He, and she said, he says, well, he's got my vote as long as he don't shut down the bingo halls. That's what he told her. So, and I told that to this, the, uh, to, to the women of uh, Trustful Republican yeah. Club. I told us, I said, so I've got one person who's a conservative, who's a Republican, who says they have my vote if I do this for them. And I've got another person who says, you've got my vote if I do the opposite thing for them. So I'm not going to lie to you. You know, I, if the community wants bingo hall shut down, then I'm going to go in and do everything I can to shut down every single one of them within the, within the ramifications and limitations that is placed on the sheriff by the state. At the same time, I have to answer for the budget that the county gives me. You know, so it, it's one of those things where you it's almost, you know, you're danged if you do, danged if you don't yeah. sort of thing. And I think there's a political aspect to it, too, because you've got conservatives, people who would vote Republicans, like, I don't want them shut down because they enjoy going there and pull the handles. And you got other folks who say, I yeah. want them shut down because they bring in drugs and prostitution near my kids. So it's. Well, there's two ways of looking at, at elections anyway. And one is uh, I want to elect you to do what I want you to do. The other is I want to vote for you because I trust you enough in your judgment. I believe you'll do the right thing. That's right. Uh, and I think that's where, you know, I think that's kind of where the lines cross sometimes. And mm -hmm. I do think that we, in a representative government, you elect people because you believe they have the character and integrity to do the right to thing. To do the right the thing, whatever ability. it is. That's exactly right. right. And, and, and rather than, hey, I'm, I expect you to do exactly what I want. That's why I voted for you. It, exactly. And that's kind of – so those are the two sides of it I've seen. I know we went in the weeds a little bit on that, but learning <laughs> about it, any, and, and that's with any any code enforcement, any law enforcement, any bit of enforcement, it, it becomes difficult because uh, there's, there's so much so – especially we're talking about the Alabama Constitution, yeah. right? It's the longest in the world. Yeah. You know, it's a, and it's there's difficult. contradictions and overrides and everything else. All so kinds it, of yeah, amendments. You know, that. I think 1901 was the last time it was right. had that had the big amendment based off of the Reconstruction after the Civil War, right? Yeah. And then they did one in 1901. I mean, it's it's unbelievable how long it is. But Jesus says two things. Um, and again, for my our non-Christian folks out there, uh, whether you believe in him or not, it's irrelevant because these are great principles. All of the law of all of the prophets and the Mosaic law, everything, that's 633 laws of Torah. That's yeah. way less than what we have here in Alabama, <laughs> yes. right? That's way less. 633 laws of Torah that they couldn't even keep. He said all of the laws hinge on two things. What are they? Yep. Love, love the Lord God, God yep. with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And your neighbor. And love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things, all of the other laws hinge. And so if we look at it— um, if, if if we actually apply that, even if we're not Christians, I elevate something over me. 
my case, this is God, God in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Something is more important to me. I answer to somebody. I answer to something, right? Uh, I answer to God. Number two, I don't elevate you over me. You're not more important than me or my family. I put you on the same level with me, right? So if I give myself $5 out of this cut, I give you $5 out of this cut. I don't give you three. I also don't have to give you 10. Does that make sense? It's not, yeah. I'm not asked to do more for you than I would do for myself. So whatever cut you give yourself, you're willing to give somebody else. And I think that applies to, I mean, look at the simplicity of it. And it's that the most difficult thing to do, elevate something more important than me and elevate my neighbor as myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if we did that, we would see a fix to a lot of these, a lot of these issues that we, uh, that we see going on, even within our, our criminal code here, if people would live by that creed. And we do see a lot of issues, though, with gun violence within communities, particularly in un unincorporated Jefferson County. Again, I think that's spilled over a good bit. And certainly, I believe in the Second Amendment, I believe the right to bear arms. But I know that's got to be an issue that as sheriff, you've got to figure. Is there a way to address that? Do you have thoughts on what do we do to cut down with uh, the violence that we see? And it's usually people that know each other but their, their resort is to pull a gun on each other. Yeah, I would. the first, I would argue, and I, I'm, I'm going to say numbers off top of my head right now. I want to say that at the end of the year, there was 266, at the end of 2021, 266 murders in Jefferson County as a whole. Um, split, I think it was 140 in Birmingham, and I think the other 140-ish were mm -hmm. in, in Jeffco, right? Um, there was only, it was a very small percentage of those that were, um, like a legitimate shoot or a legitimate like, hey, this person's assaulting me or attacking me and this person defended themselves and that's why I think there was only, there's less than 20 of those, I believe. Um, again, people checking the numbers just know I'm just going off the top of my head. I can't, re I can't remember the exact numbers, but sure. it's close to that. Um, we're already starting out the year with kind of the yeah. same track. You know, not quite a murder a day, but close to a murder a day. Uh, most of it actually, I would argue that most of your your violence like that is taking place in Birmingham and is bleeding over into the outskirts of, of Jefferson County. And I believe Birmingham officers will talk about that. I got a lot of buddies that work with different, different special units and that's what they talk about. Um, not all of it, but, but some of it. The other thing I would argue is it's not gun violence. You know, that was coined by what the Clintons, I was a kid at the time, that was Bill mm -hmm. Clinton back in the day, changed it from gang violence to gun violence. It is most certainly gang violence. Yeah. It's most yeah, certainly gang-related. So we can't um, – uh, Colonel Boyd came up with a thing, observe, orient, decide, and act, OODA loop, right? We observe what's going on. We orient ourselves to the situation. We decide and act. He used it for fighter pilots in, uh, in, in flight combat. And I believe he coined it in the Korean War and it bled over in the Vietnam War. We use that military-wide now, law enforcement-wide, OODA loop. Observe, orient, decide, and act, okay? Um when I observe what's going on, I can never orient to that situation unless I unless I observe what's happening. Mm -hmm. So I have to. So if I look at it and I say, "Oh yeah, we got gun violence," I'll never orient correctly because it's not gun violence; it's gang violence. So I would argue that's the first thing that has to be wiped off the map. We have to stop thinking that guns create it. Guns an inanimate object. I sell guns for a living. Um, I've got a gun on my hip right here. Uh, if we put a gun on this table, it's not going to hurt anybody until somebody picks it up and does something. It's like uh, it's like what we said about government earlier. Government's neutral. It's neither good nor bad. It's the person behind government yeah. that makes it bad. It's the same thing with gun. The gun's neutral, right? The car is neutral. The, all of these things are neutral things. It's the person 
uh, or the mind that's operating that that piece of equipment, that tool that makes it good or bad. So we give guns to all law enforcement officers. Why? Because they're out trying to uh, give peace to the society around them. They're Protect those of us that don't carry a gun all they, the time. That's, that's yeah, right. You know, exactly. and so we give guns to them. Why would we call it? Why would we call it gun violence? It's not gun violence. It's the person with the gun. So you can't. Uh, I would say that's the first straw man that has to be broken down. Guns ain't the problem. People are the problem. How do we do? How do we deal with the people that are problem? I believe you do it by targeting specific crime and not targeting communities. So the idea of community policing that has been talked about forever it actually doesn't work, right? Because what it what it does is uh, you'll have folks in a black community say, "Well, law enforcement are targeting us." Well, not really. There's a high crime rate down here, so we're, we're, we're down here trying to target crime, but they're targeting the community, so the perception is that you're targeting. You're stopping every vehicle. What's the perception of a black person in that community? Well, these cops are targeting black people. I understand that, and I see that. There's a perception there, even though the reality doesn't exist. And what's Christ say? Abstain, abstain from the appearance of evil. I want to abstain from the appearance that I'm tar- targeting you, even though I'm really not. How do you do that? You target criminals and you target specific criminal activity when that within that community. Uh, we did it overseas all the time. We didn't we didn't get bin Laden. The SEAL teams didn't go get bin Laden by targeting Pakistan. Right. We went and got him by going to his house, kicking in the door and getting him. And and, and I I don't understand why we can't utilize or we can't flip that mindset mindset of that concept uh, here uh, locally. The feds do it all the time. The feds, you don't see them doing anything. They're always plain clothes anyway, right? And they're out. They're targeting very specific criminal cells and criminal activity. They're not targeting communities. Well, what's the problem with local policing? What's the problem with sheriff's offices that we see across the nation? They target communities, and it does not work. Yeah. It doesn't and work. And actually, I've seen an awful lot of in the black community of people saying, what is that? We need more they want. We, yeah, we need yes. police. We need sheriffs over here. We're trying to be in a safe environment. And that's one of the great misconceptions, too, that uh, that these communities, there's too many police. Now, most of them will tell you we don't have enough. We don't have enough police. We yeah. don't have guys in here targeting the specific criminal activity right. that's that they know is going on. That's that dealing, the neighborhood knows. Yeah. That's right. That the neighborhood is. And these folks are having a, these are, they're regular folks that want to go to school. They want to. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's a. Uh, the demographic people think it's a demographic. We just talk about the uh, the black demographic because it's more inner city, or the Hispanic demographic, or wherever it is. But County Line Road up in North Jefferson, that's all white folks. The same exact problem yeah. exists. The same problem exists. And if you don't target crime, you're never going to end crime. So I would say that's the first thing: is we have to one remove the straw man argument that something creates this. Now ah, there are things that 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 can be used. Drugs can be used. Guns can be used. All of these things, but we can't target a drug as an inanimate object. We have to target the people that are selling drugs to kids. We have to target the people that are shipping fentanyl in from California. We have to target specific criminal activity, uh, not necessarily uh, blanket a community just because that community happens to be involved in where that criminal activity takes place. It makes me think of like a war zone, almost like where you're there winning hearts and minds, but then you're also like, because you're, you're in the community. And there's a there's an appearance of being in that community that's maybe not too favorable. So you have to earn the favor of the people in the community that you actually are there to protect. And then you're actually going after the terrorists, essentially. So it's almost a one to one. Yeah. When, when we were doing uh, still teams don't really do this, but we started doing uh, village stability operations in 2010. I think it was in Afghanistan. It's more of a Green Beret mission, but we would go in. And communities would not the, the communities in 
wherever you were in Afghanistan in these areas, they would not want to uh, support you because they say, hey, look, no Americans come through and they give us this stuff. And they would. Big Army would come to Hearts and Minds thing. They'd come through, give them, give kids toys. They'd, give them, they'd do all this stuff for them. And they said, then you leave. And this one village in particular uh, we came into, they had taken all the stuff. The Taliban came in. They took all the stuff that, we, that, that, that this Army unit had rolled through and gave them. They burned it all in the middle of the village. Um, and they wound up, they raped a few women and they killed one of the kids. They killed one of the boys. Um, so we, we go into this village and, and these people are telling the story. They're like, we just, it's easier if you leave us on because we, y'all rolled through and gave us this stuff and we said, thank you. And then they came in and said that yeah. we're helping the Americans and they, mm. they kill us. And, uh, they had no, no trust, no, uh, no hope that we would be able to do anything for them. Now, we built trust by doing a few certain things to show, look, we are here to help and to keep uh, evil men with guns, right? Evil men who are willing to enact gun violence on you. Well, we're good men who are willing to enact gun violence on them. So we can yeah. leave it that simple. And so when we showed that, we started uh, building rapport with these communities and these village stability operations. Um, and we, I guess... So yes, you're you're right on that, but we we have a mindset that everybody thinks think you know they think like us. When I go do active shooter training, everybody's like, "Well, what's that? What's the active shooter going to be doing when he comes?" Like, what I can't, I've never been. I'm never going to go into a place of innocent people and shoot them up. I can't tell you what this guy's thinking. We 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 almost elevate ourselves on par with God, trying to trying to say that trying to teach that we understand what's actually going through the mind of criminal people or people who are out to hurt mm -hmm. others. Um, it's it's one of the most arrogant things you can do. You don't know that. All you can do is this is what I have to do to protect others from um, from somebody who would create, person, sure. cause them harm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're coming up towards the end uh, of the hour here. Um, one thing I want to ask, um, what is what are your thoughts on the criminal justice system? I mean, how the sheriff plays into it, sure, but just overall the way that the criminal justice system in Alabama, how it's functioning, how it's working, uh, how it could be better. So I, I'll use a, almost a general blanket statement across the nation. I go from you know NYPD all the way out to LA, you know LA Sheriff's Office, doing training for different agencies and stuff, and it's all very similar. Our criminal justice system is actually not bad. It works. Um, it, it does work um, if it's utilized in the proper way. Again, it's almost like we talked about at the start. It's it's neutral in nature. It doesn't target anybody specifically. It doesn't. It's set up to work. Uh, the people that embody those positions are the ones that make it either good or bad. Make it work or make it you know not work. Let me, let me, so I'll, I'll do a, a comparison. So the Colorado Department of Corrections versus the Alabama Department of Corrections. So in Colorado, uh, if you get sentenced to, say, 16 years, you can get out in five years and two months because the way it's, the the time is incentivized. So, so one, they have adequate housing, um, space, programs, all this other stuff for the prisoners that they have. And then they incentivize prisoners in there based off of their time computation to where it will be, um, on a 16-year nonviolent sentence at five years and two months, you can put in for a halfway house and you can get out. If you want to be an idiot, you can pull every day of that 16-year sentence, right? And so um, things like that. Also, vocational training that's made available from GED to college courses to, you know, heavy equipment, welding, you know, culinary. I mean, all these different things. 
Um, and then what Colorado, I think, does poorly is they want you to remain a felon for the rest of your life. Um, where in Alabama, it's like, man, if you survive prison and make it out three years without getting in trouble, you're probably going to get pardoned. Like, they just hand out pardons here. But for the the stay in the prisons in Alabama, uh, the environments, the um, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for, basically the living conditions, essentially, uh, the programs that are made available, basically the Department of Corrections would lead you to believe that the, the goal is to correct these people um, not just house them. Uh, some people don't want to be corrected, but I guess setting it up in such a way for there to be an opportunity for these people to stop being recidivism statistics. And again, I'm I'm not a, a soft on crime guy at all. Like if you break the law, you have to pay the consequences. However, we can see we talk about limited budget and all those things, and and so we have this problem. And it's like th- there there's probably some things that could be changed that would uh, lessen. Um, the problem that we're causing because it's kind of like the lock them up, throw away the key. Uh, I don't want to think about it. Basically, prisons and landfills, you know, occupy the same place in my mind and heart. Just I don't care. Just keep them away out of my neighborhood. Um, do you think there's things that could be changed? Oh, one hundred percent. And it's a simple answer. You said you're a Christian, right? Yeah. Who changes the heart, me or God? Absolutely. Yeah. So the first thing that you have to implement is, or we have to understand, is there we can't give government answers uh, or physical answers to spiritual answers or to God answers. So the problem we do is we elevate social programs on par with God. They don't work. They've proven they don't work. And then the people enacting them oftentimes will show they don't work, i.e., different judges letting guys like up in New York, the guy that was let out after after a violent crime. Judges are letting this guy out. So we have to have something that changes the heart. Because I know we're, we're out of time. Real quick example. My dad did missions work down somewhere in South America. I can't remember where it was. He went and talked with a guy. The guy was a Sicario. He's put in jail actually for killing his wife, but I mean that's what he did for a living. He killed people, killed his wife, put in jail. He got saved in one of the roughest prisons in Hond- I think it was in Honduras, but he got saved in one of the roughest prisons down there, and he started sharing Christ. The guards were afraid of him and moved him to another prison because so many people's lives were changed in that prison. Uh, and when we leave here, I'll try to get the information and send it to y'all. See yeah. if Dad can get it to me, so y'all can maybe put it up for people to read on. Went to another prison, the same thing happened. Went to another thing, the same thing happened. They pardoned this guy. Now he goes around to prisons and helps the roughest prisons, from what I understand, goes to the roughest prisons, and he shares the gospel of Christ. Uh, again, the people who don't believe this, I promise you, if you ask Jesus to reveal himself to you, he will, and you'll have two choices, the choices Pilate had. I can deny him. I can say, what is truth? Wash my hands and say I'm innocent in this man's blood, or I can accept him for who he is. He will reveal himself to you, and you'll have two choices. Every single one of us will have that option. That is the only thing that fixes the problem. I can tell you for me personally, Jefferson County Sheriff's Office, uh, this is not a chaplain program. This is a this this is the sheriff and the leadership program. Light only drives out darkness. More darkness doesn't drive out darkness. And we present the light of Christ to those in our jails who want to sit and listen to it. Hey, guys, free day right here on Friday. Whatever it is, this is something I want to implement because it will work. Problem is we don't have a lot of statistics of anyone doing that. Why? Because all of our government officials are self-elevating, not yeah. God elevating. And I, I believe you, that's what will work. And, and you, you'll not catch any argument from me on that whatsoever. Um, you're absolutely right. And I think one of the things that happens is um, jailhouse religion recidivism. So I know a ton of people that were in prison that came to Christ, and I think they really are believers, but you know, they grew up in such an environment where they weren't taught how to tie their shoes or balance a checkbook or you know pay taxes or do anything. And so I guess those are some of the things that I'm talking about is, is um, you know, setting things up for so someone does have a change of heart, they do come to Christ, but 
I guess providing them with the opportunity to better themselves rather than just sitting there and hope they don't get stabbed or raped. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's more of a, uh, once they come to know Christ, it's not that we give a man a fish, we teach a man to fish. Um, but at the same time, the ultimate goal is to change the heart because when you change the heart, you change the whole person that you put on the new man. Um, and that's not us that does that. Yeah. And I catch a, <clears throat> eventually I'll, I'll, sometime I'll tell you my story and see why I'm coming from where I do on this. But one of the things that drives me crazy is, is when people are like, oh, the system's, you know, set up for people to fail and all this other stuff. If, if, if you've had a heart change and you've made a decision that you're going to do different, you're going to do different and nothing's going to stop you from doing different. That's right. But the system is circular now. Yeah. I'll give it that. Once you go through those doors... The system's circular. So if yeah. you can stop it before somebody goes in those doors, we're not going to throw some kid yeah. who's slinging dope uh, yeah. out on the street corner in jail because that's a business decision for that kid. We've got to now teach him this is an ethical yeah. decision. This is a moral decision. Um, but once you go in those doors, it's almost impossible to get out. Yeah. It, there, there is a circular. I, I will say, and I agree with you about the heart and, 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 and all that, but I, I do know we've um, tried to look at before how many people are sent to prison what's the number of them that have high school diplomas and don't. And it's not a statistic that police departments really keep. That it, well, I think it almost ought to be, if you arrest, it ought to be on the form. Do you have a high school diploma or not? Because if you go into jail, I do think that's one thing you ought to at least say, hey, we're going to get you a GED. We're going to do something to give you a better chance of a life once you get out. I'm not discounting at all yeah. faith in a change of heart, but it does seem like one of the things we don't do well is, is, is assess that person coming in and saying, okay, what is it they don't have that maybe – you know, again, I think that's a simple one. And, I think and, the numbers would be astounding yeah. to know how many guys get arrested that don't have a high school diploma. And or, I think more important than that number, and this is a harder one for government to legislate, you can offer a GD as fathers, right? Like, well, and, and we yeah, had yeah I would say the biggest thing is a nuclear family. And that's yeah. right. The that, assault on the nuclear that. family from early on uh, is, is the biggest issue because you don't – everything starts with a family. All right, I know and, – and again, going over, there's four levels of government instituted by God – Self, you're supposed to yeah. manage and over yourself. He tells Cain that, <clears throat> don't you know if you do what is right, it'll be good with you? Yeah. But if you do what's wrong, sin is waiting at your door and it's desires for you. <clears throat> Excuse me. The second is family government, right? The nuclear family. The third is community government or church government. And the fourth is civil government in that order. The purpose of family, community, or church, and civil is to maintain personal. So one thing that y'all are talking about is that person has never been taught to maintain them themselves. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. often, if you look at the statistics, I think y'all should and put them up maybe on this podcast when it goes online or whatever. The nuclear family is almost always the thing that is falling apart. Because yeah. our community, our, we start with families. Our families make up our communities. Our communities make up our cities. Our cities make up our counties. Counties, states, states, the nation. If it starts at the family, <laughs> you'll fix the problem. almost every podcast. So. Do you really? Yes. There you go. <laughs> Great minds think alike, right? There you go. That's right. <laughs> But uh, but no, you're exactly right. There, there, there is a, a circular system and something has to be visited there. But I do believe that without an initial heart change, um, there is there is nothing else. I don't drive out darkness with more darkness. You yeah. only drive it out yeah. of light. No, that's good. Well, good stuff. I enjoyed it. I feel like I could sit here and talk to you for another hour. I don't know if anybody would stay tuned in that long, but uh, uh, I think it would be good. Well, um, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having uh, me. To join us. Ray, you got any other thoughts, parting no, thoughts? No, and I think, uh, again, so you'll, uh, you don't have a Republican opponent, so you're, you're it on the ballot going into November, I assume. That's it. I'm yeah. not, I'm not on the ballot. I've got my, we've been blown up with messages and everything. I'm not on the ballot in May. 
Yeah. All right, so don't don't worry about it if you don't see Jared Hudson on the ballot in May, but it's still an important election. Get out and vote yeah. and vote your values. It's very important to go vote in, in the primary, but I'm not on the ballot. I won't be there until November. Right, 8. I think that, that's a good clarification for people to thinking, oh, well, I've got to get out there in May, or, or I don't like this guy. I want to vote against him in May. That's not your, t- that's not your chance. No, that's right. Yeah. That's not your chance to yeah. vote against me. Yeah, <laughs> or for you. I'll be <laughs> yeah, positive. There you go. Too. There you go. Yeah. Well, I am with him on that. May 24th is a big day. Uh, you guys need to Absolutely. put that on your calendars. Get out and vote. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but the fact is um, so many people think of voting in November if they vote at all. They very rarely think about primaries in the state of Alabama because we are a Republican supermajority. Um, you know, the primaries is a lot of times what ends up making it up or even where we're not a Republican, you know, supermajority, say in Macon County, it's a Democrat supermajority. So you're going to be picking your Democratic right. candidate. Right. So it, it it is such a hyper partisan state that the primary, no matter whether you're Republican or Democrat, that is actually where, um, you know, except for Jared <laughs> in this situation where, where the, the, the decision is made. Um, there are a few places where there will actually be a, a Republican and Democrat squaring off, and it's a, and it's a good chance either would win. Yeah, I think Jared's November is, is big in the sheriff race in yeah. this case, but I think you're right. Too many times that May 24th primary will determine who the next person in that office yeah. is going to yes. be. Absolutely, yeah. especially. Um, yeah, so good stuff. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, one more time, I'll tell you guys, go to 1819news.com, uh, sign up for the newsletter. Get that in your inbox every morning at 745. Go to uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, YouTube, subscribe, sign up, leave a review, all that stuff. Uh, help us out there. So till next time, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry. <laughs>